You're hearing the Echoes Podcast, and I'm John DiLiberto. It's hard to believe it's been a month since we've been quarantined, and I hope you're all finding some kind of comfort out there. Echoes is still storming on, as is the Echoes Podcast. And today I've got two great interviews for you, one with Hans Christian and another with Ravi Shankar. Hans Christian is a pioneer of Eastern World Fusion, and on his new album After the Fall, he goes into more electronic territory with his cello. It was the Echoes CD of the Month in February. Then we remember Ravi Shankar, who would have turned 100 this past Tuesday, April 7th. There is no way of overestimating his impact on modern music, including people like Hans Christian. I have an interview I conducted with Shankar in 1996, the first of two Echoes interviews with the sitarist. While you're trapped in your home, you'll want to take yourself, at least mentally, out of your environment. The Echoes podcast will take you there for 13 or 20 minutes, but for sustained relief, check out Echoes Online. It's our streaming subscription music service where you can stream two-hour Echoes programs on demand and get exclusive online-only Echoes streams. And you can do it with your Echoes app, which you should have by now. Go to echoes.org and find out more about Echoes Online. And now, here's the latest from a musician we've been listening to for 30 years on the show, Hans Christian. CD of the month back in February 2020 was After the Fall by Hans Christian. Including an album with Rasa, it was his fifth CD of the month selection across a couple of decades. After the Fall, though, is something of a departure for those who know Hans Christian for his eastern inflected fusions, but not if you know his entire body of work and especially his background. I'm talking to Hans Christian from his home in Door County, Wisconsin. Despite the fact that he's been there for years, it still always hits me as an unlikely location for this world fusionist who lived in sunny California for decades. It's kind of a warm winter here in Wisconsin. It's usually just a little bit below freezing. <laughs> Unlike last winter, which was uh, the polar vortex. Remember the polar vortex? Yeah, minus 40. Perhaps it's those chilled days trapped in his studio that inspired his latest album, After the Fall. All the pieces are meant to reflect a deep inner process, I think, which I wasn't intending, but, but as I was working on the music, I realized, wow, I'm really going into deep places within.
Hans Christian is a classically trained cellist from Germany who emigrated to Los Angeles, where he became a session musician, recording with Robbie Robertson, Sparks, and Victoria Williams, among others. He also flirted with a new wave and was in a band called A Drop in the Gray. There's no tears coming down But he had his own voice, and that was neither classical nor rock. He began sculpting one-man solo works of looping cello, electronics, and ethnic touches on the albums Phantoms and Surrender. A few years later, he formed the duo Rasa with singer Kim Waters. They created a string of six beautiful recordings between 2000 and 2007. Rasa ended, but Christian kept going with several Eastern-inflected journeys playing the nickel hopper, sarangi, and other instruments. On his new album, After the Fall, Christian taps a different sound when that began in his youth as a son of a minister. My father was a minister in Germany and uh, he had a very beautiful neo-Gothic church. Uh, so, so the sacred and the, the acoustics of a place like that and the terrifying potential presence of God or maybe absence and this question of like, is there actually divinity or not? And how does it come out, but these sacred moments in sacred places when there's nobody around and then there's this delicious, ominous mood unfolding uh, that's very inspiring to me to this day. In addition to the Christian church, the cellist was also inspired by the Space Church of German electronic music from Tangerine Dream and Klaus Schulze. Yeah, well, I really love German electronica. You know, I just love that, and I never really allowed myself to explore that and to compose with those parameters. And so, for example, the opening track on the album, Cryogenic Dreams, it has a lot of that Teutonic, vintage, electronic vibe, you know, with the pulsating oscillators and, and, and so forth. And that just, it's very trancey, very transporting. It draws me and maybe the listener into a, a space of uh, forgetting your ordinary reality and I just I think it's a, a powerful tool to use as a composer. 
Although electronics is the dominant sound of After the Fall, Christian's full instrumental arsenal is present, including the cello, even when you don't think you're hearing it. There are obvious cello tracks, but there are also hidden cello tracks where I detuned the cello, you know, like way down, like an octave down. And so you, when you listen closely, you might hear sounds it's like, oh, what is that? And it's actually a real cello. After the fall bathes you in a reverberant aura, Christian creates a suspended state of elements unmoored in time, floating across his liquid landscapes. Sometimes that liquid is literal as the water drops that begin the title track, After the Fall. The first few minutes, at least the raw material, was material from a soundtrack that I composed to a cave video. Basically, in 2009, I was invited to play cello in the caves of southern France, going some kind of a musical shamanic journey. And uh, after that, I was asked to compose some kind of cave music. And so I, I had this raw material lying around. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, I love the depths and the mystery and the ancientness of that. And I was in a place psychologically or creatively where I wanted to explore depth and darkness but not as in demonic darkness darkness more as in shadow energy and I wanted to maybe clean out the closet a little bit on a deep level Another inspiration for that track was Pink Floyd's 1970 album, Adam Heart Mother, the title piece of which was a sidelong, surreal opus with orchestral brass and choir. I loved that album and it, it cleared my ears out and maybe messed up my head when it came out in the early 70s. I loved that side A of that LP and I thought, boy, this could be like my version of Atom Heart Mother side A. And then only for practical reasons I decided to not do vinyl, at least not at this point, and I cut it down to 18 minutes. The title track, like the rest of the album, tends towards the dark, introspective side of things, but there are several moments of uplift, including the end of the After the Fall composition. It is dark, but it is tr transcendental, too, in its own way. It doesn't dwell on darkness and never comes out of it. The last movement of After the Fall of the title track intentionally was redemption, maybe melancholic redemption, but it came back to very 
musical, very melodic, you know, multiple cello tracks, that sort of thing. I didn't want to keep the listener in the, in the space of darkness. Whether playing solo cello in Chartres Cathedral, France, creating Eastern fusion fantasies, or the deep, dark reverberations of After the Fall, Hans Christian is always exploring the deeper mysteries of sound and life. His new album is After the Fall on Elamond Records. Hans Christian, he's made so much great music over the years, all of it heard on Echoes. His album After the Fall was the Echoes CD of the Month in February. You can read my review at echoes.org. And while you're there, check out the Echoes CD of the Month Club and get great albums like that every month. Last month's pick was Anna Sobel's Myopia, and this month's is Michael Whalen's Sacred Spaces. You can read about them all at echoes.org. And now, let's celebrate a true master, Ravi Shankar. This April would have marked the 100th birthday of Ravi Shankar. There are only a few musicians who stand out as icons when you think of a particular music or instrument. For bebop, it's Charlie Parker. For the electric guitar, Jimi Hendrix. For classical music, Beethoven. Add to that list Ravi Shankar, the first name you think of when Indian music and the sitar comes up. His influences spread not only through Indian music, but into jazz, rock, classical, and new age. To celebrate his birthday, going back to a profile that we produced with him in 1996. It was the first time we'd interviewed Ravi, the occasion being the release of a four-CD box set and booklet called In Celebration that chronicled Shankar's music from his first raga to his work with George Harrison and Philip Glass. I get to sit at the feet of Ravi Shankar to hear him tell his story, and Kimberly Haas brings it to us from a time when Shankar was a spry 76-year-old. When Ravi Shankar plays in Alap, the slow, improvised introduction to a raga, he closes his eyes as if lost to the world. Somehow, I don't know, my eyes become closed, especially those parts which are slow and serene. That's when I cannot keep my eyes open and watch my listener or watch everything like one can do later on when one plays faster pieces. And that's one place where I completely lose contact with outside world. Mm-hmm. 
Ravi Shankar didn't start out playing sitar. He began as a dancer in an international performance troupe led by his brother Uday. Shankar traveled the world in his teenage years, living a cosmopolitan life. Opening up the booklet of his 75th anniversary CD, In Celebration, John DiLiberto points out a photo of a handsome young man. His long black hair is slicked back and strings of beads crisscross his bare chest. He's striking a seductive pose that wouldn't be out of place in a Prince video. Who is that young man? <laughs> That's me, dancing. This is my solo that I choreographed myself. How is this person different from the person sitting in front of me right now? Well, this person was about 16 to 17, going 17, I think. And now I'm going 76 almost. <laughs> so there has to be a lot of difference, but I still have him inside me. I cannot get rid of him. <laughs> what parts of him do you like? <laughs> Sometimes I really feel uh, like very young and very childish, you know. Especially all this association coming to New York, my, all my memories become so alive. My first station is St. Moritz Hotel in front of Central Park. That's where we stayed. And New York was my first love. It's very special. Whole Times Square and seeing three films a day, seeing the vaudeville shows, going to Cotton Club, hearing Cap Calloway, and, and all the famous people, seeing them on stage, Edwin, Will Rogers, Eddie Cantor, I have got a sweetie known as Susie. In the words of Shakespeare, she's a wow. Ravi Shankar is now a frail man with a cloudy yellow ring around the irises of his eyes. But as he embraces his sitar, you can't forget his stature as a master musician who seduced the world with an ancient sound and spirit. Before he attained musical sainthood, however, he had to leave the world behind. In the midst of traveling the globe with his brother's troupe, he decided to return to India with Master Baba Aladdin Khan and study the sitar. I covered my eyes to all my past, I mean the near past, and go to very distant past. So it was a difficult job to do, but I was, you know, so much wanting to acquire and uh, learn music from this great man that I tried to live exactly the way he wanted, you know, old-fashioned, the old gurukul system that we call. You become a celibate, you give up everything, you live a very simple life, and nothing else but just work, you know. He emerged from this stark period with formidable technique and a music whose spirit would suffuse several generations. Almost from the beginning, Ravi Shankar reached out to other musicians, finding a common ground between Indian music and the jazz, rock, and classical worlds. Imagine my background of those eight years in Europe and America and listening to so much of world music at that time, different ones. So it was very natural for me when I, you know, matured, that apart from keeping all the pure things, it was something in my head going on to do new things, new expressions. One of the first musicians to embrace Shankar was classical violinist Yehudi Menuhin. 
they began playing together in the 1950s and in the late 60s recorded West Meets East. influenced a generation of jazz musicians, especially John Coltrane. And then came the 60s revolution, when Indian music was embraced by psychedelic rock. It was this movement, and Shankar's association with George Harrison of the Beatles, that really launched the sitars towards global renown. But he's always been disparaging of those times, even though he made notorious appearances at Woodstock, the Monterey Pop Festival, and the concert for Bangladesh, where the audience mistook his tuning for an actual piece of music. Thank you. If you appreciate the tuning so much, I hope you'll enjoy the playing more. Thank you. And many times I had to walk out with my sitar, really, because I couldn't take it anymore. I was feeling so, because our music is so sacred to us, you know. Because George happened to be my student, so they took it for granted that they come with the same spirit to hear our music, you know, whistling and shrieking and doing all sorts of things. Despite his misgivings, the 1960s and early 70s were a time of feverish collaboration by Shankar, especially working with George Harrison. It's something he picked up on again in the late 1980s, when he made three albums for the private music label. They included a collaboration with Philip Glass, the minimalist who has cited Shankar as a primary influence. But no matter what the combination, Shankar says he's still bringing the same spirit to the music which he learned from Baba Aladdin Khan. We always had oral tradition. So the guru taught the disciple. And along with the music, it was not just the technique or some of the compositions, but it was the whole spirit, whole way of life, the whole religious aspect, the depth, the introvert feeling, to bring tears to the eyes, you know, to make you feel being near the God. And that's something which I have been tried in many of my compositions. If you hear pieces like Shanti Mantra or Henath, you'll see that I have utilized Western musicians, Western choir, and also things, but tried to bring that feeling. Kimberly Haas bringing you my interview with Ravi Shankar from 1996. Ravi Shankar passed away in 2012 at the age of 92. Besides this great interview, my other major memory is dropping my microphone on Shankar's sitar. That was not a good time to have the dropsies. I got to interview Shankar again at his home in the early 2000s, just as his daughter Anushka was launching her own career as an acclaimed sitarist in her own right, forging a distinctive musical path. His other daughter, Nora Jones, is one of the most highly regarded singers of our time. Ravi Shankar would have turned 100 
on April 7th. Next week on the Echoes podcast, our interview with English neoclassical composer Poppy Ackroyd, who is definitely more Radiohead than Rachmaninoff. Her album Resolve was a CD of the month in 2018. I'm John DiLiberto. Thanks for dialing up the Echoes podcast. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or online right now on Echoes. Echoes.